Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcasts. This week, we continue our three-part series entitled, The Heart of a Servant. And this week, we have the second message brought to us by our lead pastor, Mike Yearly. It's entitled, A Model to Follow. Well, today we are continuing the series that we started last weekend called The Heart of a Servant. It's just a brief three-week series. Uh, we'll conclude it next week. But if you were here last week, you know that we focused in on really the life and teaching of Jesus. And what we, we saw from that is that part of Jesus' core identity in his life was that he was a servant and therefore we're called to be servants. And we saw, if you remember, a couple of things, that, that being a servant is part of our, it's not like optional equipment of the, of the Christian life, that it's part of who we're called to be. It's not something we do, it's someone we are. We talked about that. And then you remember we also saw that Jesus said that the, uh, the path to fulfillment leads through the door of service, that, that if you want to get the most out of life, then pick up the servant's towel, begin to serve, and as he did. Well, this week we continue uh, our journey on in the study of servanthood, and today we come to one of my favorite men in the Bible, just an amazing model of servanthood, and I bet hardly any of you guessed it this week, his name is John the Baptist. Now, my hunch is, is that most of us here have probably heard of John the Baptist, even if you're brand new at this whole church thing, or you've just come to Christ, or you haven't even yet made a commitment to Christ, chances are in our culture you've heard of John the Baptist. He was the guy that came before Jesus. He, he was preparing the way for Jesus, baptizing people out in the Jordan River Valley. And he has a, a, a really fascinating story, supernatural birth. Uh, his mom and dad were an uh, older couple, never able to have kids. His dad was a priest. His wife was Mrs. Priest. And, and, uh, and they just never been able to have kids. And, and so um, God supernaturally intervenes. And he says, you're going to have a son. In fact, he's going to be an amazing kid. He's going to grow up. He's going to be powerful. He's going to become a prophet. Not only a prophet, he's going to introduce the Messiah that you've been waiting for for hundreds of years. And so, so they're excited about that. John's born. We know very little about his early years. But if we roll the tape forward, 30 years, John shows up in the, out in the Jordan River Valley in the desert and he takes the nation by storm. I mean, people are blown away. They haven't seen a prophet in 400 years and they are just taken with this guy. And he's a wild man. He's not like your average, you know, your average prophet. I don't know. He's not like your average spiritual leader. I mean, he's, he comes out dressed in retro, you know, like he, he's wearing clothes like Elijah used to wear. And those has been out of style for like, you know, hundreds of years. He's got like, uh, he has camel skin clothes and he's got this big leather belt and he eats things like locusts and wild honey and he lives in the desert and the nation is taken with them. And even though the closest place he could have been baptizing was at least 15 to 20 miles from Jerusalem, people were flocking to him. I mean, CNN's there, you know. It's Jerusalem, uh, uh, Jerusalem Times front page. Bethlehem Acorn has an article. It's just the whole thing. Um, and so he takes the nation by storm, and, uh, and Jesus shows up, and he actually baptizes Jesus, and, and he they launches uh, Jesus' ministry. And uh, Jesus is just taken with this guy. He loves this guy. Um, turns out that their moms knew each other. In fact, they were related. You know, Jesus' mom was Mary. Uh, uh, John's mom was a lady named Elizabeth. And they were related. We don't know exactly what the relationship was, but they were relatives. So chances are, I mean, you know, when Mary heard that she was pregnant, she went to visit Elizabeth. And that's how close they were. Who do you tell that you're pregnant and there's not like a real father around, you know? And so she goes to tell Elizabeth, obviously they were close. And so chances are that Jesus and John grew up, you know, hide and seek and that kind of thing. And can you imagine, you know, like what a bummer playing hide and seek with Jesus. He'd always know you are. But anyway, uh, but anyway, um, 
you know, so, okay, you, know, you be Moses this time. I was Moses last time, you know. Uh, you be Joshua. I want to split the, you know, split the Jordan River. And so, anyway, they, they probably knew each other growing up. But when they, when they grew up as men, they're both about 30 years old because they, they, they were born months apart. And uh, when they grow up, they, they become this tag team, this amazing tag team. And, and, uh, and Jesus just loved John. It was like kindred spirits. I mean, these guys, uh, he, John, Jesus just thought the world of, of John. In fact, uh, after Jesus launched his ministry, he's well underway, John was arrested. He had uh, confronted one of the political leaders of the day for immorality in his life. He responded by having him arrested. Later, he threw him in prison, and, and he had him beheaded for that. And so John's in prison uh, he sends a message to Jesus and says, hey, could you give me a little bit of clarification on your messianic uh, task here? It's not, look, it's not working out the way I thought. And so Jesus answers his question and sends him back. And then Jesus turns to the crowds and he says some amazing things about his cousin, JB. And I want you to look here at your note sheet, what he says about John, because it's going to set the stage for our whole talk today. Uh, Luke chapter 7, in verse uh, 24 through 28, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. And he says, hey, I got a question for you. What did you go out into the desert to see? Uh, you all made that trip out from Jerusalem. You went out you know, to see him. It's 15 to 20 miles away, at least, closest. And so this is not like a day trip, you know. Uh, they didn't have like shuttles, you know, Jordan Valley shuttles. Uh, so, you know, it was a long trip. And he says, you all made the trip out there. What did you go out there to see? What was the draw? He says, did you go out there to see a reed swayed by the wind? You know, one of the religious leaders that they just kind of say whatever popular opinion would go back and forth. He says, of course not. That's not why you went out there. Well, what did you go out to see? Did you, did you want to see his, his clothes? I mean, a man dressed in fine clothes. Was that it? He was like the fashion statement. Is that what you want? He says, no, no, no. I mean, all he has is that camel hair you know, jacket and so on. So he says, no, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are the palace. So, so why'd you go, what'd you got to see? What was the draw? Did you think you're going to see a prophet? Oh yeah, he was a prophet. And let me tell you, more than a prophet. And then he says this amazing thing. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Now, stop and think about that. You know, Moses, uh, Joshua, uh, David, Elijah. Like, who would you pick? If I did this little quiz with you, before reading this passage, you said, who would you say before the coming of Jesus was the greatest leader, greatest male? Who would you say? You know, yeah, we would have said these different things, wouldn't we? I, interesting, we were having dinner uh, the other night with some new friends from the church. They invited us over, had a great dinner with them. And after dinner, they decided since they had a pastor there, they might as well ask a Bible question. And so uh, I was hoping my dessert wasn't hanging in the balance, but I, I, so I decided to give it my best shot. And so they asked me my, the question. It was really, you know, a pretty tough question, so I didn't do so well, but I, they still gave me dessert. But, uh, but anyway, I said, well, I've got, a, I've got a question for you, and I was studying this passage that week, preparing, you know, this was two weeks ago, preparing for this week. And so uh, I said, okay, so, so if you had to say who was like the top, like best kind of person or leader in, in all the Bible up to Jesus, who would you say? And of course, it was a trick question. I knew they'd never get it. And, uh, but just kind of made me feel better. I was pastor again. I knew more than they did, which meant I didn't. So, so anyway, um, so they started guessing and they had great guesses. You know, Moses, uh, Joshua, you know, David, uh, they had great guesses. But of course, they were all wrong because here it is. Here's the answer right here. This is amazing. So, so what makes JB such an amazing guy? 
What is it about him? I mean, he didn't do any miracles. Um, he introduces the Messiah, but that's more of an honor than anything else. I mean, he preaches, he stands up for what is right, he loses his head for it. But, you know, a lot of guys in the Bible did that, were martyrs. And so what makes this guy so special? Well, remember we learned last week that the way Jesus measures a man or a woman's life is he measures them by the heart of a servant. Remember he said that? He said, um, if you want to be great, then you have to be a servant because um, the, the more you serve, the greater you are, right? So when Jesus is measuring our lives, he measures a greatness by the heart of a servant. And so I look at John and I say, if Jesus says that there's no one greater, what that tells me is he must have been an amazing servant. And as I delve into his life and begin to study his life, oh yeah, it's right there. You see this incredible heart of a servant. I gotta tell you, of all the guys in the Bible, that regularly, routinely, Jesus takes me back to John the Baptist and said, hey, hey Mike, remember me? This is what you're shooting for. This is what it's all about. And it's kind of a routine thing in my life. And John the Baptist has become one of my great heroes because of his heart of a servant. So we're going to study him a little bit. They're in your note sheet. Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like for our time we have together, I'd like to strap a heart monitor on this guy. I'm going to say, what does the heart of a servant look like? What does that heartbeat look like? And we're going to study two passages that give great insight into his heart. And the first one is in John chapter 1. So why don't you turn there, verse 19. And while you're turning there, let me set the stage. Uh, John has just burst on the scene. Like I said, front page news, CNN, Fox News, whole nation flocking to him. The religious establishment in Jerusalem is getting a little bit nervous. They're not really interested in repenting. They're not really interested in being baptized. They're not even interested that the Messiah might be coming. They're just feeling a little threatened by this guy. He's becoming intensely popular. And so, hey, where's that going to lead? And so they decide they need to send a delegation down. They need to send some religious reporters down to get the scoop. Who are you? What are you doing? What are you there? So they can kind of put together something for their press release and their official position on this guy. And so they send these guys down, and that's where we pick up the story in chapter 1 and verse 19. Now, this was John's testimony. This is what he said. When the Jews of Jerusalem, that would be the religious leaders, when they sent these priests and Levites, that's like the religious reporters, when they sent them to ask him who he was. And He did not fail to confess, but he confessed freely. First thing he says is, I am not the Christ. Now, of course, this was what was on everyone's mind. Everyone's waiting for the Messiah. And so they want to know, are you the guy? Are you the Messiah? Is that what you're saying? Is that why you're baptizing? What's up? And I love that the first thing that John ever says in this gospel is, I am am not. If you go back about 1,500 years, Moses is standing in front of the burning bush and he asks God, what should I say your name is when I go to Egypt to take your people out? And God says, I am who I am. You go to the time of Jesus, just in a couple years forward, and the religious leaders say, Jesus, who are you? And he says, before Abraham was born, I am. So God says, I am. And Jesus says, I am. And John shows up and he says, I am not. See, the great thing about a servant 
is a servant always knows who he is and who he isn't, right? And the thing about the heart of a servant is we know who we are and who we are not. And we are not the Messiah. It is not about us. And I love this about John that he shows up and he says, hey guys, it's not about me. First thing he wants someone to say, this is not about me. He says, I know you think I'm the rock star. I know the whole nation's down here. The cameras are rolling. You can just see the interviews going on there, you know. Hey, how long have you been here? Three days. Why are you here? I came to hear John the Baptist. You know, what do you think? Well, I don't know. He's a little crazy, that hair. The, the whole, uh, you know, the, the whole uh, animal skin thing. That's going to be itchy. I don't know how he does that and stuff. You know, really, well, I heard he eats like grasshoppers. Really, ugh, that's gross. That's sick, you know. But he seems to be speaking for God. Well, you've been baptized? Not yet, but I'm watching. There's, like, well, what about you, sir? Well, I've been down here for four days. And, and the cameras are rolling, and it's big time, you know. And there's thousands of people, and he's the latest rock star, and he's popular, and he's famous, and the spotlight's on him. And, and the first thing he says is, guys, I am not. How many people would have done that? How many people? Most people would have said, hey, thanks for coming. Welcome to my church. First church of John the Baptist. You know, oh, no, no. Not, I am not. And so in that day, the Jews were expecting them, but before the Messiah came, there would be some other prominent figures that would sur- uh, surface. For example, uh, based on some Old Testament teaching, they believed that Elijah would come back, kind of a second coming of Elijah before the coming of the Messiah. Uh, Moses... 1,500 years earlier, predicted that one day a great prophet would come. And so they're going like, well, if you're not the Christ, if you're not the Messiah, well then, you know, let's start running down some multiple choices and seeing who else you might be. And so they said uh, in verse 21, well, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. <laughs> are you the prophet? No. Well, then who are you? I mean, like we gotta give it, we gotta we gotta give some. We were sent down here to get answers. We can't go back empty-handed. Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John said, "Oh, he quotes the words of Isaiah the prophet. He says, oh, 'Oh, I'm just a voice. <laughs> I'm just a voice. Name's not important. I'm just a voice. Think of me like a loudspeaker. Uh, I'm like an MC.'" Um, I'm like that guy that goes in front of kings and blows a trumpet. My name's really not important. Um, I'm like the warm-up act for, for a concert, you know? That's really, I'm really not so important. And so they're like getting really pretty confused about this point. He said, I'm the voice of one. I'm calling in the desert. I'm out here in the desert. And I'm just saying, get ready for the main act. Make straight the way for the Lord. Well, so the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Well, then... Okay, well, help us understand then. So why are you baptizing? I mean, if you're like a nobody, if you're not the Christ, if you're not Elijah, if you're not the prophet, if you're like nobody, why are you making such a big deal out of things? And he says, well, you know, um, I'm baptizing with water, but out there in your midst, out there in these huge crowds, um, there is the main act. And... You don't know him yet. I've not pointed him out yet. He hasn't revealed himself yet. But it's all about him. And then he says, he's the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. 
Now, you remember this? Last week, John 13, Jesus in the middle of Passover takes off his clothes, picks up the basin, picks up the towel, starts washing feet. We learned something a Jewish man never does. The wives might do it, the kids might do it, the slaves will do it, but Jewish men don't wash the feet of other Jewish men. We learned that last week, right? And so what's John saying here? He's saying, you don't understand, this guy is so far above me. You know, I'm, I'm just like that rope on the Goodyear blimp, you know? I, I, he's so far above me that I, I don't really even deserve to be like a servant to him. I, I, it's really, I feel kind of weird just even taking off his shoes because he is so far above me. You see it? Interesting, eh? fascinating, heart of a servant. Okay, let's take another look at his heart. Let's go to chapter three. One more passage and then we'll, we'll kind of do, take this printout from the heart monitor and we'll analyze it to see what does the heart of a servant look like. Chapter 3 and verse 22. We're fast forwarding now. A couple weeks, a couple months. We're not sure. It's not very long. And uh, Jesus has launched his ministry. You know, he was baptized by John. He launches his ministry. And now for a while they're operating simultaneously. In fact, both of them are baptizing. Uh, John's baptizing. Jesus is baptizing. But the pendulum of popularity is clearly swinging towards Jesus. People are leaving uh, John the Baptist. They're starting to go to uh, Jesus. And uh, John the Baptist's loyal followers, like the elders of his church, are getting real concerned about this. Hey, um, everyone's leaving our church and they're going to that church. And so what are we going to do about it? Uh, John, do you have like a new series you could teach? Uh, is there, uh, you know, is there some sort of, uh, I don't know, maybe a, a program we could run? We got to do something here because everyone's leaving our church and going to that church and we want you to be like the best pastor. We want to have the most prestigious pastor and so we got to do something here. And John, in that moment, just reveals the heart of a servant. And so he says in verse 22, it says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and they baptized. Well, meanwhile, uh, John was also baptizing, so nearby, at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water. So both of them doing these baptismals. And people were constantly coming to be baptized. Now this was before John was put in prison. Verse 26. Now, so here's John's loyal followers. They come to John and they said to him, Rabbi, you know that man who is with you on the other side of the Jordan? <laughs> Makes me laugh. It's like, yeah, you mean like the Lamb of God? Yeah. Um, remember that man who is with you on the other side of the Jordan? Um, the one you testified about? Yeah, you know, he's going to take away the sins of the world? Yeah, whatever. Um, well, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. This is intolerable. Everyone is leaving our church and going to their church. Attendance is down. Giving is down. What are we going to do? And John just gives such an amazing answer. In verse 27, he says, To this John replied, You know, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. That's a pretty profound statement. What John is saying is in our lives that each of us has an assignment in our lives, your life and my life, each of us are given certain things from heaven. Where you live right now, the job you have, the, the family you have or don't have, the kids you have or don't have, the ministry you have, uh, the spiritual gifts you have, the finances you have, the health, that each one of us in life, we're given certain things from God. And that's our assignment. And he says a man can only receive what he's been given. 
He says, let's step back. He says, my job, my assignment was to gather a huge crowd, to be like a crazy, wild rock star. To gather this huge crowd and get them all the people there. That was chapter one of my assignment. I get to introduce the Messiah. It was a lot of fun. But then chapter two of my assignment was to send them all to Jesus and kiss them all goodbye. He said, my assignment is not to keep the people with me and to remain popular. My assignment is to give up the popularity and give it to Jesus. He says, a man can only receive what he's been given from heaven. If I try to hold on to that popularity, I'd be trying to hold on to something that wasn't mine to hold on to. See? They're like, hmm. Not sure they got that one. And so he gives them this great analogy. He says, okay, okay. It's like this. It's like a wedding. He says, picture a wedding. He says, there's like Jesus. He's like the bridegroom. There's like the people. They're like the bride. There's like me. I'm like the best man. It was my privilege to introduce the bride to the bridegroom. Now picture this. It's wedding time. And we're standing down there in front. And here's the bride, the bridegroom. And here's me. And I'm the best man. And I'm there. And the bride's coming down. It'd be a little weird if the bride was looking at me the whole time. That'd be a little weird if she's like making eye contact with me, winking at me. Like, that would be a little strange. Something would be wrong with that picture. My job was to introduce the two of them. And I'll tell you what, my joy in life is I get to be right next to my buddy. And I get to watch the two of them come together and there is nothing better in life than that because it's not about me, it's about my friend and I love my friend. And just to share that moment, that's what my joy is about. You guys think the joy is just all about me. You think the joy for me is being the rock star, having the attention, the popularity. It's not about that. My joy is about my friendship with Jesus. And so he says in verse 29, the bride that's the people that belongs to the bridegroom, to Jesus. The friend who attends the bridegroom, that would be him, the best man, he waits and he listens for his friend and he's full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. He says, that joy is mine and it's now complete. He says, I'm, I'm really okay with this, everyone leaving me, everyone going to him. That's what's supposed to happen. I'm good with that. And then catch this. I'll tell you something else. He must become greater and I must become less. You don't like this attendance thing that's happening. Everyone's leaving me and everyone's going to him. Can I tell you something? It's going to get worse. In fact, this is the way that God drew it up. He's going to get greater and greater and I'm going to get less and less and I'm going to end up in prison and I'm going to die and it's going to just be me and everyone's going to be following him. And he says, you know what? I'm just good with that. That's what's supposed to happen because a man can only receive what's been given him and that's what's been given me. That's the assignment. And my joy is not in it's all about me. My joy joy is not in the assignment. My joy is getting next to my buddy and watching the smile on his face and making his day. Now, amazing guy. I love this guy. So we've taken some time to put the heart monitor on and see what makes him tick, what drives him. Now here's what I want to do. I want to take the, the last part of this message. I want to focus in on what are some of the lessons. What is the readout that comes from this heart monitor? What do you see in a person's life? And I've got to tell you that John has just been an amazing model for me that Jesus pulls me back to all the time to say, okay, Mike, you want to follow me? Do it like John. You want to follow me? Because I, I just routinely 
Forget this, all right? So number one, here's the first lesson I learned from John the Baptist that it's not about me. It's not about me. Have you ever experienced in this in your life how it's so amazing we can start off serving God for all the right reasons? You know, we want to we want to we want to honor Him and make Him happy. We want to make a difference in the lives of people. We want to help others, and we have all the right reasons. And then one day you wake up in the middle of that service and realize it's no longer about them or Him; it's all about you. Have you ever experienced that? You start leading a life group. And you want to lead a life group because you can create this amazing community where we love one another and serve one another. We get to experience God's presence. And, you, and you're so you're into this service. And you want to do it for God and do it for the people and you're all there. And then all of a sudden, the people come. <laughs> and you're like, this group would be amazing if it just weren't for the people. Because <laughs> the hosts and us, we get along great. And you're like, why does everyone else get the good group? You know, this group is hard. This is not what I signed up for. And, and we started off because we wanted to make a difference in the lives of people. And we wanted to serve God and serve others. And we were willing to lay down our lives to serve others. And now we get in. It's not what we thought it was. And now it's all about me. What am I getting out of it? Have you ever experienced this in your life in areas of service? I know for me, I love to preach. I love to teach. It's what I love to do. My favorite thing. And God's designed me for it. He created me for it. Gifted me for it. I love to do it. And if you ask me, well, why do you preach? And what do you do that for? And what's that about? I go, well, it's kind of like John the Baptist. My job is to go before the people and say, people, this is Jesus. Jesus, this is a people. Have at it. Get to know one another. Give your life to him. Come to him. It's all about him. It's all about you. That's what it's about. And then all of a sudden I give a sermon. I feel like it really sucks. My wife's eyeing me. Okay, I give a sermon, and it's just really not the best, all right? And I come home, and I'm all depressed about it. Why? Because, well, what if they don't like me? Well, what if I'm not good enough? What if I... And you see what happened? This gift that was all about you and all about him has suddenly become all about me. How am I doing? Am I getting the recognition that I want. Am I having the success? Am I achieving? It's all about me. Well, where's the service in that? You see? And so routinely, Jesus takes me back and says, here's John the Baptist. Here's where we're going in your life. It's not about you. You see? Here's some telltale signs. The kind of questions that start going through your, the kind of thoughts that start going through your head that should make our heart monitor start going, beep, 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 you're about to die. When we start saying, what am I getting out of it? Uh, We just lost the heart of a servant, didn't we? Here's one. Why are they getting all the credit? um, Do they realize how hard I'm working? Um, What are they going to think of me? Do they like it? I say... What I love about John is it's just not about him. They come, the spotlight's on, the cameras are rolling, first things out of his mouth, I am not. Everyone's there, everyone wants to see what he's going to say. The first thing he says is, guys, uh, 
just need to understand something. This is not about me. It's about the one who comes after me. Well, so are you Elijah? No, I'm a nobody. Don't really matter. I'm a voice. I'm like a loudspeaker in your life. That's pretty much it. Call me Bose. And the real test of his character was when everyone's leaving, because it's one thing when everything's going well and your life's going well and service is going well. So, oh, I just love serving God. It's all about him. It's not about me. Yeah, well, let's take it all away then and see how we do. And when the fame goes and the crowd goes and things are hard. But for John, it didn't crumple him. Everyone left and he was good with that. Why? Because he had the heart of a servant. See, the heart of a servant is a heart of humility. And humility isn't pretending we're less than we are. <laughs> Lots of times in Christian circles, we get this really wrong. We think pretending is like saying we're not good at something when we really are. You know, why you really did that well? Oh, it was nothing. That's not humility. You know, it's like, wow, that was an amazing song. Oh, thank you. It wasn't me. It was the Lord. No, it wasn't that good. Honestly, you know, if it was that good, we'd be blown away. And it's just like, believe me, it was you. It wasn't the Lord. And so often we think of humility, that humility is about pretending to be bad at something we're really good about. No, no. If someone comes up and says to me, thank you, that was an awesome sermon. Happened once. Uh, I'm going to say thank you. I mean, I worked really hard on it. It's not like it's all of me, but I worked really hard. Thank you very much. I'm going to say thank you very much. Humility isn't pretending to be something you're not. Humility is having a clear picture of who you are. It's just seeing things in perspective. And, you know, there's a beautiful freedom in humility. Oftentimes we think of humility as a negative thing. Can I tell you something? A person with true humility is the freest person on planet Earth. Because they don't live, they don't need the approval of others. <laughs> they don't need the applause of the crowd. They don't need the recognition. You think John the Baptist is out there going, "Oh, bummer! It's all about him. I got to keep saying that." No, he was a free man. See, people who have true humility, they ride the high winds. <laughs> there is a freedom in their life because they don't live for the approval of man anymore. And there's a beautiful freedom in that. They knew who they are. They know who God is. It doesn't need to be about them. They've been set free from that. They're flying high. They're like a spiritual eagle. I want you to look at a passage in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. You see this in John's life. What Paul's going to describe here. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. See if this doesn't sound like John to you. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. See, this this is a guy, he didn't have selfish ambition. He didn't have vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. He says, hey, I'm not worthy to take off his shoes. Each of you should look out not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that as Christ Jesus who being in the very nature of God, verse 7, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. See, the heart of a servant is the heart of humility. We don't need the applause of the crowds. We've gone beyond that. We don't need it anymore. It's not why we serve. It's not about the recognition. 
It's, not, it's about something else. We'll talk about what it is in a minute, but it's not about recognition. Number two. Second thing John reminds me of, it's not about the assignment. It's not about me, but it's also not about the assignment. You know, each of us has an assignment in life. We've talked about this earlier, a place where you live, a place where you work, a family where you have or don't have, or a ministry, certain spiritual gifts. And, and there's some people in life who serve really well when they like the assignment. Have you ever been there? I have times in my life, I like how my life's going. I like the ministry I'm doing. Uh, I like how my family's going. I like how my kids are going. I like how we're doing financially. I like my health. That's how that's going. And my life's going well. It's just so fun to serve God. I love to serve God. But you know, the mark of a great servant is not how we serve when things are going well. The mark of a great servant is how we serve when we don't like the assignment. See, the mark of a great servant is that the quality of their service is never determined by the nature of their assignment. And that's John's story. Chapter one of his life, he was the rock star introducing Jesus. Loved that assignment. He served well. But what I love about John was that he continued to serve well when the crowds left him, when his leaders were disappointed in him, when he got arrested and thrown into prison and later beheaded because some um, king couldn't say no to a servant girl who danced and impressed his dinner party. At that moment of his life, John continued to serve well. If you were to ask John, why do you serve? He would not say it's because of the recognition. We've seen that. But he would also not say it's because of the assignment. Some of you have an assignment you love right now. Some of you have an assignment you don't love right now. But the heart of a servant, it's not so much about the assignment, it's about the assigner. You see, it's not about what Jesus asks us to do. It's about who asks us to do it. That's what motivates the heart of a servant. Well, I can think of times in my life where he's taken me back to John the Baptist because I've been in a place where I've not been in a a spot, maybe ministry-wise or some other area, where, where I wanted to be, and I just didn't like the assignment. And boy, I found out a lot about my heart. That I was all for serving Jesus when I was doing the things I loved, but when I was cleaning toilets, I was losing my enthusiasm. You see? I love that about John. He says, you know, a man can only uh, receive what he's been given from heaven. This is my assignment. Assignment number one was to draw the crowd. It was a lot of fun. Assignment number two was lose the crowd. It was a bummer, but I'm good with both because it's not about the assignment. Great passage in Colossians 3. Let's turn there. Paul gives us some good instruction on this in the letter to Colossae, the church at Colossae. Colossians chapter 3, he's writing to slaves. And it's, it's great advice for us about this whole principle, about it's not the assignment. A quality of our service shouldn't depend on the nature of our assignment. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 22. He says, slaves. Now I know some of you think you've got it bad. You hate your job. But my guess is most of us wouldn't trade it for slavery. And so he says, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. 
See, this is the advice of, to a servant. It's like, hey, sometimes your master is going to ask you, slaves, to clean the toilets. Sometimes they're going to ask you to tutor their servants, or tutor his sons in Latin. You move back to the time when this was written. He says, sometimes you're going to be asked to clean out the manure, and sometimes you're going to be asked to entertain dinner guests. He says, whatever, whatever you do, it doesn't really matter what the assignment is, remember who you're serving. I know it looks like you're serving your master. There's really a servant, a master behind the master, and that's who you're serving. And so make sure you serve well because it's not about the assignment, it's about who you're serving. See, that's the principle. Whatever you do, verse 23, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Here it is. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And so John reminds me that if I'm going to be a great servant, it's not going to be because it's all about me. It's certainly not going to be because I always love the assignment. It's about something else. And this is the third principle. It's all about the relationship. So it's not about me. It's not about the assignment. That's not what drives John. It's all about the relationship. You say, well, Mike, what do you mean? Well, if you study John's life, you begin to realize that what drove him was his relationship with his friend, with Jesus. That's what the wedding analogy was all about. Everyone's going to leave you. Everyone's going to him. That's okay, because my greatest joy in life is hearing the voice of my friend. See? I'm like the... I'm like the best man to the groom. And what gives me the greatest joy in life is not having it be about me. It's not about my assignment. What gives me the greatest joy is getting to hang out with my friend and bring a smile to his face. Wow. You see, the greatest motive for service is always love. And whenever we forget that it's the love of our friend that motivates service, what happens is our service becomes brittle and it becomes harsh and we become very vulnerable to discouragement. Because the best service always flows out of a heart of love for our friend. It's like John's. Let me give you some examples. We won't turn there in the scripture, but just let me, let me rifle through three passages of scripture that illustrate this. Revelation chapter two. Jesus writing to the church of Ephesus. And he says, you know, you're doing some amazing things. You're serving me so well. You've worked really hard. He says, um, you persevered. When people are persecuted for being a follower of Christ, you've put up with that. You've, held it, you've hung tough. I love that about you. He said, um, when wicked people have come into your church and they try to do sin in the church, you've dealt with it. I love that about you. He said, you know, when false teachers have come in, you've kicked them out. You've kept to the truth about me. I love that about you. He says, but I've got one issue. A lot of service, but one issue. You have left your first love. He says, you're doing all the right things, but for all the wrong reasons. And he said, unless you kind of get your act together in this way, I says, I'm, I'm not going to come to church anymore at your place. That's what he says. He says, I'm, I'm going to remove the, the candlestick. I, I'm not going to come to your church. You can still do church. You can still have your services. I'm not showing up. You see? See, the service needs to flow out of the relationship. 
Uh, second example, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul writes this church, very gifted church. He says, you know guys, he says, I know you have a lot of spiritual gifts there, but he says, I don't care if you can speak with the tongues of men and angels. You're the most amazing speakers around. Uh, he says, I don't really care if you give your bodies to be burned. You're willing to die for Christ. You know, I don't really care if you give all your food to the poor. I don't care if you have all spiritual knowledge. You just understand everything. But he said, if you don't have love, it amounts to a big zero, right? See, the service has to flow out of love. John 21, third example. It's right after the resurrection. The disciples have gone back to Galilee. They're up fishing. Last time Jesus saw Peter, he was denying him. So Peter's feeling a little awkward when Jesus shows up. Jesus cooks some breakfast. They have breakfast together. After breakfast, he pulls Peter aside for a little one-on-one time. He pulls him aside. He says, Peter, I just need to know, do you love me? Oh, Jesus, you know, I love you. I, I know, but, well, I want you to feed my sheep then. If you really love me, I want you to let your service flow out of our relationship. Take care of my sheep. Okay. Can we just change the subject? No, I want to know again, do you love me? He's going to ask him three times because he denied him three times. And he wants to look in his eyes three times and say, Peter, do you love me? And once the relationship is established, yes, I love you, then the ministry commandment is given. The service commandment is given. But you see, Jesus never asked Peter to serve until he first established the relationship. Do you love me? You see, in our lives, there's an order to this. Service has to flow out of relationship. If it doesn't flow out of relationship with our friend, it will become brittle, and it will become harsh, and we will become very vulnerable. Remember Mary and Martha? Both serving, you know, both love Jesus, but Martha's scattering around, trying to, her priority was ministry first, service first. Mary's priority was relationship first. And Jesus said, hey, she's chosen the better thing. I'm not going to pull away. There's an order to our life. Ministry, service flows out of relationship. Now, this is not an easy lesson to learn. It's one that I find God taking me back to all the time, sometimes several times a week, literally. I'm a, I'm a pretty like a high achiever sort of guy. You know, I take those... Uh, Take those Gallup, uh, the strength finders tests, you know, that they'll have like 32 of your top talents or abilities, you know. And, they'll, and, and so they'll tell you your top five. My number one thing comes out, achievement, you know. I, I'm built for that. I love, I love getting the vision. God, what do you want to do? And then like, okay, God, how do we do that? And, and I love pursuing this, this plan, and watching it come together, and watch God change lives and do amazing things, and I love that, and it's how he's wired me, and that's a cool thing, but can I tell you something, that periodically, sometimes several times a week, he pulls me aside, and basically the message is this, Mike, it's really cool what you're doing for me, I love working together, this is awesome, but can I tell you something, that more important than the ministry we do together is our relationship. And your ministry, if it doesn't flow out of our relationship, it will dry up over time, you know? And so periodically he calls me back and says, I love that. Hey, but it's you and I. It's what's most important. Yes, you serve, but the service has to flow out of that relationship. And so I'll tell you a couple prayers in my life that I've been praying. These are kind of new prayers the last couple months. 
really based on the life of John the Baptist. But here's one of the prayers. My first prayer is, God, let the greatest joy in my life be our relationship, not the ministry. You know, I believe God has great things for Rocky Peak. I think he's doing great things. I think he's, he's setting us up for great things. I think the future's incredibly bright. I think he's going to do amazing things here. But here's the message. Is it Jesus, I want to be most excited about you and not the ministry. That's the order. And the second prayer is, Jesus, I want to be your friend like John was. You know, we talk a lot about friendship with God or being friends of Jesus, that kind of thing. But you know, the reality is, often when we think about it, we're always focusing on him being a friend to us. And what God has been stirring in my heart is, I want to become a friend of his. The question I've been asking is, who looks out for him? Who's taking care of Jesus? He's taking care of me, but who's taking care of Jesus? Who has his back? Who's looking out for his best interest? You see, John the Baptist, that was his joy in life. It wasn't about him. He liked standing by his friend, and he loved serving his friend, and he wanted to see the huge smile on his friend's face as that bride came down. It was all about him being a friend to Jesus, not Jesus being a friend to him. And this has become the prayer of my life. Jesus, I want to be a friend to you. I want to be your friend. I want to look out for you. I want to be watching for you. I want to make you happy. Would you give me the spirit of John the Baptist so it wouldn't be about me, it'd be all about you. And my greatest joy in life would be seeing you happy. See? See, that's the heart of a servant. And that's why I love this guy, John, because it wasn't about him. He didn't serve because of the assignment. It was all about the relationship. And he loved his buddy. He loved his friend. And that is where the heart of a servant starts. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this amazing man, amazing model, John the Baptist. God, what an amazing guy. And what a model he is, Lord, that it's not about us. Um, it's not even about the assignment because sometimes we'll love them, sometimes we'll hate them. But we serve well because it's all about you. And you're the one that assigned it to us. And whether our life is hard right now, our life is good right now, or we love our gifts or we don't love our gifts or whatever, that's really not about that. It's really about you and bringing joy to your face. So Lord, we pray you teach us as a congregation, would you teach us here at Rocky Peak to have the heart of a servant where it's all about you, where we each embrace the assignment during the good times and the bad times, whatever it is, because it's you who we're serving and it's your face that we're serving to bring a smile to. We pray this in your name. Amen. What would you like to grow up and be John the Baptist? You know? All these prophetic words over your life. You're going to be great. I'm sure you heard the stories. Grows up with Jesus. You know, has no clue that Jesus is going to be the Messiah. And one day you find out that your cousin that you play with turns out to be the Lamb of God think back at all the things you said maybe you take back you know <laughs> yeah I guess I should let you be Moses you split it the first time you know <laughs> it's not an easy place to be either when you played hide and seek with a buddy it's hard to believe they're the Messiah when his hometown Nazareth heard that he was claiming to be Messiah they thought he was crazy they didn't want to listen Jesus said, uh, prophets never reject except his hometown. And yet somehow, John, his buddy, could see who he was. 
He could see past exterior and he could see what Jesus was called to be and who he was. With a heart of humility. He got a glimpse into the heart of Jesus. He was captured by that heart. He was willing to spend his life paving the way for his friend. That's why I pray for prayer for us as a church. God would give us a glimpse of who Jesus really is. That increasingly we'd feel like, hey, we don't even rate to take off his shoes. Hey, but the fact of the matter is, he's made us sons and daughters. In fact, he's called us friends. He said, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. And that we would just be taken with him as a congregation. And we would serve. We'd serve in our schools and we'd serve in our jobs. We'd serve in our homes. And we'd serve in our ministries. Why? Because of duty? No. So we get recognition? No. Because it's our favorite job? No. Because he's captured our heart. We want to spend the rest of our life putting a smile on the face of our friend. See? It's the heart of a servant. May God grant us that vision of Jesus that will transform us as a congregation to a church that's passionate about the relationship and therefore passionate about the service we provide him. As you leave today, you're going to have the servant fair out there. There's over 100 spots here at Rocky Peak, volunteer positions. I know a lot of you have already found yours, but we put together a position focus, kind of a job description of every position we could think of what it takes, kind of gifts required, how much time. And if you haven't found your place of service, this might be a great opportunity. Stop by, pick up two or three, take them home, pray about it. Ask God to lead you. And then come back next week because we're going to talk about how God has uniquely shaped each one of us to make a difference forever in his kingdom. We're going to talk about how God has shaped you from the time you were a little child, just like he shaped John the Baptist to serve in a particular unique way. And so come and join us next week as we talk about that and when God's word teaches about that. We'll see you then. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at the Peak, thanks for listening.